Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute Podcast. Today, we'll be speaking with Ben Goodwin, co-founder, CEO, and formulator at Olipop regarding the beverage his company manufactures and the functional beverage space as a whole. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or are becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. So with that said, I'll start off by asking Ben how he's doing today. So how are you, Ben? Yeah, th- thanks for having me on, Chris. Uh, doing well. It's, it's, it is hot. Uh, I don't tend to do well in extremely hot weather, so I'm managing to my, my best of my ability. But uh, yeah, it's coming along. It's been a, it's been a long couple months here uh, and uh, looking, looking forward to a little relaxation at some point. I'm going to say probably most of America can agree with the fact that it's been a, a couple long months. Yeah. Here, I guess yeah. what we could jump in here with is, um, yeah, Ben, can you give a brief overview of your own background and then also give us a little of a background on Olipop? Yeah, sure. So I've been a product formulator for uh, approximately 15 years. I've had, I've been, I've launched two beverage companies, Olipop being my second and been involved with, with three of them. Um, so basically pretty deep background in in beverage entrepreneurialism and product formulation. Um, And really a lot of my focus has been on digestive health and and specifically this thing called the microbiome, which is, you know, we probably don't have time to get into today, but it's a really fascinating area of research tied to digestion and human health. Um, And uh, Olipop is basically kind of the latest, the most advanced iteration of my 15 year journey into digestive and microbiome. Uh, health and formulation. So um, kind of a lot of my background has been in probiotics and actually in, in fermented uh, beverages and, and kind of fermented applications for digestive health. And uh, there's still a lot of great stuff about fermentation. Uh, probiotics themselves have taken a bit of, of, of a hit in the clinical literature. Uh, but then there's this new field of, of research really focusing on dietary intervention as kind of a mechanism for benefiting digestive health and benefiting the microbiome and you know, specifically fiber prebiotics and nutritional diversity kind of being these really big ingredient pillars that are missing from a lot of industrialized consumers diets. Um, and that's more or less what Olipop is designed to, to account for. So it's, it's this soda style beverage, it's low sugar, low calories, really high fiber, high uh, prebiotic counts with a bunch of different botanicals in it to help you with your digestive and microbiome health. All right. So now that we have a little bit of an idea of what Olipop is, can you give us a little bit of insight into the inspiration that caused you to formulate this beverage, especially considering you already have a background in functional beverages to begin with? Yeah, for sure. Well, kind of like I was like I was communicating about before, you know, there there has been this meaningful sea change away from probiotics uh, in kind of the clinical literature. I mean, when I try to figure out whether or not it makes sense to launch a company, especially a beverage company, which is an incredibly, uh, you know, intense occupation. One of the kind of foundational uh, places I start is like, does this company need to exist? And one of the one of the ways I try to figure that out is actually go and look at the clinical literature and see, you know, what trends kind of uh, are emerging or have kind of haven't been explored or or being validated that are intriguing enough, uh, and could provide useful benefit to uh, to consumers. And so this, you know, being that I do focus a lot in the digestive health and microbiome space, um, I was seeing this trend kind of away from probiotics. I mean, I think that we thought that probiotics were going to deliver all sorts of value that unfortunately kind of like never came to pass. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of 
kind of layers to to that, but um, but a lot of the kind of uh, digestive health and microbiome researchers are, are really not showing that seeing the efficacy there for, especially for consumers that already have a reasonably healthy microbiome. Um, and and simultaneously, there's another there's another uh, round of research that's kind of going on with uh, indigenous hunter gatherer groups. So groups that belong to kind of these um, basically they, they consume food in, in the indigenous way that we humans were designed to consume over uh, the last two million or so years. Those different groups uh, have been studied in terms of their microbiome composition and their health outcomes. Uh, and basically, there's there's the research has kind of come together in a way where it's pretty clearly evidenced that the most sustainable way to benefit somebody's microbiome and digestive health is actually through this kind of dietary intervention. So switching over their diet, and then the key kind of pillars of this being, um, you know, the, this this like fiber and prebiotic differential. So for example, according to the FDA, average American gets 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day, they get three to five grams of prebiotics a day. Uh, and, you know, they get, uh, I don't think this is an FDA status, another organization, but 80% of our food or so for the average American comes from like the same 20 different base foods, right? So meat, dairy, corn, soy, wheat, etc. Um, and these indigenous hunter-gatherer tribes, you know, who have way more abundant, healthy, robust microbiomes, digestive systems, lower outcomes of different uh, undesirable health conditions, um, they're oftentimes getting 100 to 200 grams of fiber a day. They're getting over 100 grams of prebiotics a day. Uh, there have been certain uh, pieces of research where they followed tribe mem- tribes members around and found that they can consume up to 1,400 different nutritional inputs uh, per per year. And, you know, there's, so the diet differences are really, really significant. There's been primary research, which is just focused on these hunter-gatherer groups and, and taking a look at, at their diets and their health outcomes. There's also been translational research. So they've taken, you know, hunter-gatherers and given them industrialized diets. They've taken people consuming industrialized diets, give them hunter-gatherer diets. And so there's really a robust well of research kind of compiling at this point that really points to these dietary shifts as being this kind of excellent mechanism for for driving, um, you know, positive changes in digestive and microbiome health. And then, you know, for us, our thought process is just, well, if you have an issue that exists at scale and is meaningful enough to correct at scale, you want to put it into a vehicle that can deliver value at scale. Um, and so soda is the most significant U.S. beverage, more or less, at, you know, outside of the alcohol sector. Uh, and so we felt that this was kind of the perfect Trojan horse to put these really important uh, compounds in. And that more or less came together to create Olipop. So I'd like to focus on the health benefits a little bit more. So, you know, what could a drinker of your product reasonably expect uh, from the health outcome aspect when they uh, ingest Olipop? Yeah, well, Chris, as you know, as you might know, there are obviously this gets into tricky territory, right? I mean, uh, in terms of making definitive health health uh, health claims around the product, I definitely I mean, don't want to get you in trouble with FDA, yeah. so we can keep it a little bit more broad for sure. Yeah, but how to talk about it, you know the positive attributes of the pro you know the product in general. So each can does have nine grams of dietary fiber in it, which is so that kind of that ratio I was talking about earlier, where average hunter gatherer is getting between 100 and 200 grams of fiber a day. Well, if if we're getting 5 to 10% of that, you need kind of I think it's advisable to increase fiber consumption, but you have to find the right way to kind of ratchet it up. 
Um, so at nine at nine grams of fiber a can, we're actually clocking in at about thirty percent of the FDA recommended daily intake of fiber in one can of of Olipop. Uh, although you know the WHO recommends closer to thirty to forty grams a day, so their their numbers are higher than what the FDA recommends. And then obviously there's these other pieces of research, but uh, you know the 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 fiber is designed. You know fiber has a lot of different benefits broadly speaking. You know from helping stabilize blood sugar to um, helping to uh, facilitate kind of healthy bowel functioning um, for helping the distribution of nutrients into your digestive tract and into your body. All in and you know and then prebiotics are basically a subset of fiber. There's special fibers that more that you know feed certain beneficial microorganisms that live in your microbiome um, in, a, in a targeted and definitive way. So there's fiber in the product, there's prebiotics in the product. Um, we actually are working with uh, suppliers that have done human clinical research around their ingredients. Um, some of them actually have like quite a bit of quite a bit of, of, uh, of research that's gone into the product. Uh, into their ingredients. And then we also use a range of different kind of botanicals, which have either historical use or some compounds in them that um, are kind of known to be beneficial for, you know, digestive function overall. Um, and then, you know, from our side, we actually are working with uh, University of Purdue. We're also working with Baylor College of Medicine. So um, Stephen Lindemann, who runs Purdue's uh, Complex Carbohydrates Division, Joseph Petrosino, who heads up the Baylor College of Medicine's uh, microbiology division, really excited to have them as partners. Um, we're doing our own research with them on the on the product. We're doing in vitro research with those organizations, and we're really lucky to have their expertise as well. I mean, we pick their brain all the time, and it's uh, we're really fortunate to have the ability to do that. Um, you know, we're also working with some other really great gastroenterologists. Um, uh, looking at some other research around the, around the, the the product, so there's going to be a lot of really exciting research news coming soon as well, and then we'll have even I'll have an incredibly precise answer for you about <laughs> what we suspect the product does, uh, you know. But for now, we're kind of we're you know we're now right now we're basing this kind of the health principles off of you know these concepts around fiber, prebiotics, nutritional diversity, and, and also it's like. The product is low sugar. It's, you know, it's five grams of, of sugar or less per can. So, you know, if you are, we, we have actually found in a survey that at least 20% of our current consumers um, are already switching uh, our product out for soda. So uh, if you are drinking something that has nine grams of fiber and five grams of sugar or less, and you're, you're swapping out something that, you know, had 40 to 60 grams of sugar, obviously that's its own, its own health win. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the doctors that you were speaking about there. When I was doing a little research for this episode, I did notice that you had the four doctors on your webpage, and that kind of distinguished you to, compared to some other uh, companies that I've done some research on. And I was just wondering if you could also give us a, a deeper view into what distinguishes Olipop from other functional beverages on the on the market currently. Yeah, I mean, I think I do. Yeah, I appreciate the question because I do think we we've we have spent a disproportionately large amount of time uh working through the, the formula you know uh and aligning with uh the research aligning with uh academic researchers and medical professionals and dietitians that we think uh we think have really great viewpoints on and our and our luminaries on in their fields you know in the in the kind of microbiome and digestive health field and that's you know that's really really important to us i think there are a lot of products in the kind of 
wild, wild west of kind of health and wellness that, you know, they kind of, they slap a label on the, on the package and they make a claim and everyone crosses their fingers and hopes it does something right. <laughs> it's a, that's a little bit, that's not the best environment for consumers. Um, and you know, there's something that can be a little bit disingenuous, disingenuous, or even, um, you know, kind of like, uh, unsafe about approaching, uh, health and wellness in that way. And I think that, you know, we, we really believe if you're going to make health claims and if you really want to benefit people, um, you need to do the extra work to, to do your best. Like no one's ever going to be perfect, especially if you're doing something innovative, you know, you're going to have to take some risks and some chances. And that's just like part of the reality spectrum. But, uh, if you are, if you are working on something that is designed to help people, you know, take it to the, take it to the next level and try to get some, reference the science or work with scientists or, you know, basically be authentic in your approach. And so for us, I just think it was really important um, that we went down this pathway because I'm really motivated. We're, we're really motivated. We're kind of like trying to set up a new category, not just a new product. Um, I think that, you know, the need for fiber, prebiotics, the need for these kind of varied nutritional inputs to, to, uh, to benefit digestion and microbiome health it's a really significant issue. I mean, according to the FDA, two thirds of Americans have chronic digestive distress uh, and almost two thirds of Americans have some sort of metabolic issue, you know, with, with their, their weight. Um, and, you know, my personal opinion is that those trends are also linked. So it's like the scale is, you know, it's at, it's at, it's at mass. And so it's, it's very important to us that we actually deliver on something that actually benefits people in a meaningful way. So I think that the health and research angle is a big part of it. And then I think, you know, we have something that's extraordinarily tasty. Um, and, the, you know, the, the kind of the branding is is on point. You know, we're, we're really uh, like we're really grateful that consumers have responded in a very positive way to our kind of our branding architecture uh, taste profile. And so being able to kind of merge those together, like I said, it's just meant to be a bit of a Trojan horse. You know, we we feel like uh, if a lot if, you know, if, if the kombucha market is a billion dollar market and the soda market is a 60 to 70 billion dollar market with 90 percent household penetration uh we want to go meet consumers where they are instead of you know shaming them or expecting a huge uh behavior shift in order for them to kind of engage with our product so i think those two things kind of side by side uh are are real differentiators for our product I think it's kind of interesting there that you're talking about, uh, you know, early adoption by consumers regarding your marketing. But I would imagine since you are competing with these larger beverage brands for that share of stomach, as we like to say here at the Food Institute, <laughs> I was wondering if you could share a little bit of, you know, some of the challenges that you faced in marketing and even trying to get this product onto store shelves uh, early on. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, setting up new distribution is always brutally hard, right? So it's, I mean, that's just a that's just a reality check. I mean, we are, we're in a really interesting space because, you know, we're, we're astronomically growing this year, um, which, you know, in obviously doing that in the middle of a middle of a pandemic, which is like, adds so many different extra layers of, of complexity to the situation. Um, I would say that there are kind of, there are general difficulties with getting product on shelf when you're a new company, uh, especially our product does require refrigeration. Uh, one of the prebiotics is sensitive to temperature. And so we actually do refrigerate this product, which that's pretty coveted shelf space. So that, that kind of comes with its own framework of challenges. Um, you know, the one thing that has happened for, for this product, uh, for Olipop, which I'm, you know, just like, you know, it's partially 
the obviously it's the desired outcome but you also just have to cross your fingers and uh say thank you but you know we've been lucky enough really from the beginning to have um really really strong velocity on on this brand uh it's like almost staggering velocity um and basically when you're in any kind of environment uh you know any kind of distribution or sales environment that that's obviously if not the most important metric you know, one of the most important possible metrics and those strong, that strong velocity, you know, plus the fact that we could, you know, 99% of the time crack a can open, hand it to the buyer and they actually enjoyed the product has really paved the way for us a lot. Um, it really has helped uh, with our kind of, with our expansion in ways that sometimes it can be a little more of a struggle to, to, to kind of get on with. So you know, I think that we've had the, there's the general difficulties just intrinsic to uh, the beverage landscape, startup landscape, to the cold box landscape. But uh, within that, those intrinsic difficulties, I think that we've uh, actually, you know, fared really well. So I guess I have to ask this question because it is 2020, but and you did mention already that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected your business. So I'm just wondering, have you seen any kinds of ingredient sourcing issues? Uh, are you seeing increased demand for more functional and healthier beverages because of the pandemic? Can you give us a little overview of how this may have shifted uh, you know, your thinking and your operations in the last couple of months? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great, great question, because definitely, of course, <laughs> all uh, right, of the above. Exactly. Everybody, <laughs> everyone's yeah. dealing with it in their own way. Yeah, I mean, for sure. We were, again, this is another area where we were kind of, you know, like, I think this is one of the byproducts of being such a kind of science oriented organization is, you know, we were looking at the, the situation with COVID pretty early on, uh, and really kind of reading that this is going to be a major issue. Um, you know, and I kind of, uh, between David and myself, who's my co my, my co-founder, you know, I kind of cover more of the ops side of things. So I, you know, chatted to the ops team and basically rang the red alarm bell, um, really, really hard pretty early on. And, you know, they were awesome in, in being really responsive to that. So we did get a, you know, we did start to kind of get out and put, POs and, and forecast together for double, triple the time. You know, I basically just instructed everybody, like, I want to have everything purchased out for the whole year, more or less, uh, because I got, you know, we don't even know what's coming down the coming down the pipe. So I think that because we were able to uh, really get out ahead of ahead of everything on the su- supply side, we didn't run into ingredients shortages, but you know, it, it's very easy to see how it could have happened, you know, especially on commodities like juices, um, which we use, you know, we use a range of different juices as a smaller uh, purchaser. And, uh, you know, if everyone's obviously, do, you know, has a run on the juice market, then you're going to have, and you're a smaller company, then guess what? There's not going to be any juice for you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, so there was a certain amount of that. I, I would say that, you know, the one, the biggest thing that we, from a, from a, from a supply chain side, um, and this was already a problem before, uh, but it definitely has been exacerbated is really, you know, our products in a can and the aluminum can situation right now is like, is like a nightmare. It's a, it's an, it's, it's such a nightmare. I just wish there's, you know, Ball, Ardaw, and Crown are the three big can manufacturers. And like, I just like for the life of me, I don't understand why. I think Ball is finally investing in a new can, you know, uh, like smelting or can production plant or whatever. But 
uh, you know, the demand for cans has just been going up and up and up for years. But there are, you know, these, these uh, factories that build that, that, that make the cans are like 70, 80, 90 million dollars to build. And they take multiple years to build. And so they're really big investments uh, for these companies. And, you know, they're conservative companies. And, but so it basically, it's just but it's put such a squeeze on the whole can market. And, you know, with uh, a number of these different you know, people not going out to restaurants, so they're, they're not using on-premise, they're not using kegs as much. Um, a lot of these kind of bigger beer companies and soda companies are uh, pulling more cans. And so since there was already a squeeze on the market, now there's even more of a squeeze on the market. So that that has actually been a pain in the ass and something that we've had to navigate our way around uh, on the supply side. And, you know, but we, we're, we're lucky to have a really good broker and, and uh, we've been able to kind of keep it all all, all moving pretty well despite that I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that it's moving pretty well and i guess as a final question you know if one of our listeners right now is intrigued they want to actually go grab themselves a can of olipop where could they go today to to pick up one of your products yeah thanks for the plug uh <laughs> we're at uh we're at drink olipop.com o-l-i-p-o-p uh and then you can you know all of our social is more or less drink olipop um and then you know we're expanding really rapidly as well on, in the retail environment you know we went national sprouts this year uh we're going national with whole foods um this month we're actually going national with kroger this month um and, and a bunch of other great a bunch of other really great retailers so and retailers you know really need your in-person support right now so we highly recommend you, you drop on in uh but there's a store lo- locator on the website as well so if you want to order direct from us online you can do that uh or you can find find them in a in the wild near near you well that sounds great uh we'll definitely share the relevant links in the description of this podcast episode Uh, and i think that about wraps it up for us this week on the food institute podcast so once again i'd like to thank ben for his time today and remember if you're new to the food institute podcast please follow like and share if you'd like to learn more about the food institute please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company so until next time this is chris campbell signing off (music) 